podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Let's get ready to rumble! Y'all ready for this? It has been a while, hey, but Faceoff is back. I'm your host, Kay. We're going to be discussing our rather tense game against Crystal Palace. So to, to start us off, let us get introduced to the panel. And today I haven't got any Crystal Palace fans for you, unfortunately, but I do have three, no less than three Reds. So to start us off, um, somebody who's been on the show quite a lot in the past, uh, brother from another mother, Cam Branch. How are you, Cam? Yeah, I'm good, Kay. How's yourself, fella? Oh, not bad, not bad at all. And uh, he was on the last show with us, so uh, also, again, I introduced him the same way, probably better known on Twitter as the Ace of Knaves, but it is Tadiwa. So how are you, Tadiwa? Hey, hi, I'm good, and you? Great, great stuff. And after a little while, uh, wonderful having her back on the show, but AI writer Leanne is with us. How are you, Leanne? Yeah, I'm good. It's been a while since I've been on um, one of your podcasts, so glad to be back. No, nice. That's very sweet. I'll start with you, Leanne. Let's talk about the, the Liverpool lineup. It was a quite strong Liverpool lineup. Do you have any issues with it or what Jurgen Klopp was trying to do? No, not really. I don't think there were many surprises. Um, it was good to see Nathaniel Klein back on the bench and personally I would have liked to see him come on for a little bit, get a, you know, about 30 minutes. I've tweeted recently about how I'd be quite intrigued to see him face City. I know it's a big risk. Um, but I, I was itching to see him play. But apart from that, no real surprises. I think the front three picks itself. Um, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold has been in good form and it was always going to be a tough fixture against a, a Hodgson side that loves to park the bus. So I can see where Klopp was coming from. Um, and, you know, we managed to dig deep and get the three points and that's what matters at this stage in the season. Oh, man, but sure. Yeah, don't have to tell me twice. Damn, I was very happy about that. Uh, Cam, over to you. I think the only real question a lot of people had was sort of uh, Milner in the midfield. How do you feel about Milner there more generally and in particular for this game? Um, I think a game like yesterday uh, against the opposition is ideal for the likes of Milner. Um, I want him to be starting these games and uh, giving a rest to our best midfielder, which would have been Emirates, and obviously he was injured, so uh, he wasn't going to play anyway. Um, I don't want to be seeing Milner starting against the best midfields in the world because I think the game's uh, going to go by him too quick. He, he's, he's too slow on the turn. Um, he, he gets bypassed very easily in, in those, in the, in the bigger game. So yesterday was ideal for him. And, uh, I think out of the three midfielders, he, he was probably our best midfielder on the day. Not that, the, not that the other two were very good. So it wasn't that difficult to be the best. But I would agree with you. I, I, I quite liked, and we will talk about this, but I quite like when you got further forward. I like Milner in a more forward position. I know I'm probably going to get yep. a bit of dislike for that, but, <laughs> um, Tadewa, for you, a lot of people were sort of maybe expecting the start of the resting of, of one or two even of the front three. Uh, did you expect that for the Palace game? Um, I think maybe more so for the Everton game than the Palace one. Um, 
I always thought if the likes of Danny Ings, you can't trust them sort of against Everton in such a crucial time in the season, then I don't think they deserve or they really shouldn't be in, at Liverpool. Um, whereas for this one, I think after the international break, you kind of want to keep the momentum going. You don't want the players going in sort of cold, going into that City game. You do want to get some sort of minutes underneath their belt. Oh, interesting. Yeah, a good way to look at it. But in that way, guys, I'll open this to the floor. Did you feel before the game, perhaps Crystal Palace was sort of there for the taking? We didn't really have to sort of worry about our our more arduous games are starting after that. And so, you know, just get Crystal Palace out the way sort of and see what we can get. And I, I was a bit worried that Jurgen Klopp was sort of going to pick a slightly weakened starting lineup for that. But I was, you know, it was strange. I was sort of wary of the Crystal Palace Threat, you know, Zaha is back and they've got Hodgson there and he knows how to, how to set up. And they did in a, in a strange way sort of look like, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but look like, a, set up a bit like United was against us. It, it was a bit of a strange game on the, on the whole of it. It just felt like we were taking it seriously and then also couldn't take it seriously for a bit. We seemed to take the whole first half to get into the game. I think um, you have to be wary, um, of the player's mindset. I think it's it's natural for some of the players to think, well, I, d- I really don't want to get injured today. You know what I mean? So a lot of the 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 fifty fifties, a lot of the even necessarily the, the the sprints that you you'd be doing in a game like this, uh, it plays into the psyche of the players. And obviously, it, each player has their own psyche, so it um it depends how they take on a game. But it's it's not impossible to fathom that most of the players will be thinking. We've got probably our biggest game of the season against City on on Wednesday. And yes, they've been told, okay, focus on Crystal Palace. But really, going to Crystal Palace, it was a cold, rainy day, um, and that that ground was actually quite quite um, quite loud, quite uh, vocal. Um, it's it's hard for some players, and you see it um, to get into those type of games. Bearing in mind, you know, you, you're trying to sort of save yourself for the big game on, on Wednesday. We were just slow and ponderous in the first half. We were sloppy. We weren't, we weren't, we weren't at it at all. And, um, mm. and I, I think that a lot of that's to do with we don't like 12.30, uh, the early kickoff. <laughs> we, we do not perform well, uh, whether it's something to do with, um, the, uh, the setup before and how they're resting and, uh, you know, the amount of sleep they're getting before the game, um, because I, I believe, I, I could be completely wrong, but I believe a lot of players will, will get a, an hour or two sleep before the game. But obviously if you're getting up at seven, seven, eight o'clock at, at your normal time, you're then not getting that sleep before, before kickoff to, you know, make sure you're at full capacity. So I, I think there's something to be said for the, the 1230 kickoff. Um, obviously they, they, they'd all come back from international break. It was just, they were just sloppy. And I think they must have got a, a good rollick in at half time because you could tell come second half that 10, 15 minutes, uh, um, into the second half, that, that period we, we were a lot more incisive. We were a lot sharper. We, we were moving the ball a lot quicker. We were stretching Palace a lot better. And, and, and we got the goal for, goal from it because of that. So, uh, yeah, for me, we were just, we were just, Shit in the first half, to put it politely. It wasn't. And Leanne, let's talk about that first half because maybe luckily, but the first 20 minutes of the game just seemed to be our worst. Zaha got through a couple times and it culminated obviously in that penalty and, and really, 
it, it just seemed to put the cherry on the top that Mane got that yellow card for, for diving in the opposition box. That first half, though, it, it really worried us. It really worried me, the first 20 minutes, how Zaha was able to get through, how Crystal Palace were really able to employ the same tactics that United employed, put the big striker up front, let him win the header, and the second ball is not really going to get taken care of as well as it should. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Crystal Palace probably looked at the Man U game ahead of kickoff and thought that they could take some you know, some tips into the game. And they obviously identified Alexander-Arnold as a weakness. Um, the diagonal ball was, was on pretty much all of the first half. And Zaha, um, you know, he got in behind quite a few times, first of all, with a, a big save coming from Karius. I mean, again, he does well there uh, to come out and make himself so big because that shows for me the, the confidence he's developing with this consistent game time. Um but in terms of Trent, yeah, that that has to be a, a bit of a worry, especially going into such a crucial week. Um, for all his attacking abilities, for all he's good at in terms of breaking down these low block defences in the final third, he really does need to work on uh, judging the flight of the ball and, and positionally as well. So he's, in some respects, it's similar to Joe Gomez. We've seen it a couple of times with him as well. Um, you know, people are rightfully worried. It happened against Rashford. It's now happening against Zaha and with the form of people like Leroy Sané, that's that's going to be a worry. Um, and, you know, first half overall, we we weren't fluid. We weren't really ourselves. Um, I wasn't actually that surprised by it because Crystal Palace is always one of those bogey team fixtures. And as was said earlier, if it's going to be a, an early kickoff against Crystal Palace, that really is sort of a, a bad mix. Um, so, you know, in the end, we get the three points. But, yeah, first half, we were really not on the ball. And um, Trent has to be a bit of a worry. Um and it, it poses the question, what do you do? Do you bring in Nathaniel Klein, who is going to be a big risk in, in such a big game, having just come back from injury? Or do you persist with the youngster who is going to have a lot of pressure on his shoulders and has been exposed a couple of times in recent weeks now? Can I just say two things on that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Firstly, Leanne's absolutely right. Um, Trent's been caught out twice now to, uh, to the second ball. Because he's positionally he's he's in the wrong starting place, so he's allowing the the wide forwards cut inside on him, and this is something that's not being coached properly by the club. So you have to look at the coaching setup as well and say why aren't they identifying this and and making sure that he is positionally aware that he needs to be coming inside as soon as a defender a centre back steps out, your full back step in. To cover, mm. to cover that space. You want to, you, any, any defender wants to push an attacker out wide. He doesn't want to come in on the inside of him. It's basic defending. And it, that's, that's also down to the club as well. So as much as we can blame Trent for that, we've got to blame the coaching setup as well. Secondly, um, in reference to Sane on Wednesday, they're not going to play that ball. They don't have a big target man to, to flick the ball on. Uh, with Sane, it's a completely different challenge. And Sane likes to go on the outside more. He likes to take the man on. He does like to cut in as well. The only way they're going to get that diagonal ball is a, is a direct ball, which is what happened in the uh, in the game at Anfield. It was played by the right back all the way across the pitch to the left back. And that was Gomez losing fly to the ball, which yeah. obviously um, both of our full backs have done. And it, it is a shame that uh, Klein's not more match fit because... Uh, Wednesday would have been the game to have climb back for. So it's a different challenge with Sane to, to uh, Rashford and Zaha because of the uh, 
the strikers. City don't play with a big target man, so it's a different challenge completely for me. Yeah, no, I, I, and I agree with those points. I think those are very good points made by the two of you. I, it's, it's a couple times during the game as well. Zaha would start running in front of Trent before Trent could start running because of his bad positioning. You know, he, he's aware of where Zaha is, obviously, because Zaha skinned him a couple times in the first half. And still, as we get into the game a bit later, it, it is his positioning. He's not, he's not in the right place to be able to react to when Zaha starts running. And by the time he does react, with the speed of Zaha, he's beyond him. Didier, what do you think about all this in terms of Trent? How, you know, other people are looking at that. Do, do you agree with Cam's point, firstly, that uh, the opposition would require a big man to unlock that particular tactic? Or if we look to a game like Man City, do you think they could sort of somehow replicate that with somebody like Silva or De Bruyne or somebody like that? Um, I think when you have coaches like uh, Pep and Klopp, I doubt he's going to be looking at what we're doing to them to try and counter that. It's more about what his team will be doing. So in terms of, I, I, I don't see him changing their style of play. I mean, even if you look at the, the game at Anfield earlier in the season, or earlier a couple of months ago, um, even when they were down 4-1, I think it was, he was still encouraging them to play the same way. You know, usually at 4-1, you're expecting someone to start then lobbing the ball towards really, you know, sending their center backs forward. But he has a set way of playing. And he, um, the interesting thing with Pep is he has such a belief in that system that regardless of what the scoreline is, he wants them to keep doing it because he knows it's gonna, it's gonna bear fruits. And it's something that he's trying to instill into the squad. There are few, there's still a few times where you can see them do something that he, he, he hasn't instructed them to do, so to speak. And you can see him sort of getting frustrated on the bench. So in terms of Sané, I think it's still going to be, he's going to trust in the abilities that Sané has to still play the, the, the same game he's been playing all season. Um, so I don't necessarily see them changing it to that effect. Maybe the only thing that I could say is they might maybe give the ball to Sané a lot, a lot more than they used to, um, in, in other games. But going on to Trent, I think we also have to take into consideration, yes, from a physical standing point, we, we have managed his minutes pretty well this season and it's been really good to rotate him and Gomez. But it, you also have to look at the mental minutes. I think for, for a young player of his age to be playing, um, sort of the amount of minutes, especially the last couple of weeks, he, he's been in the team a lot more. That also takes a toll on you mentally. And in terms of mental fatigue, you can't, it's totally different for each player. Um, you have to look at how, how those type of games are affecting him. Maybe the, the, the mistake against, um, United, so to speak. I mean, we were, we were all focusing on the 19 year old making the mistake instead of some of the other older players in the team. But, uh, that game has been analyzed to death. Um, maybe that sort of mistake now has him even for a split second, second guessing some of the movements he was doing a lot more naturally earlier on. And in that split second, that's probably where Zaha starts his run. And once someone like Zaha starts going, you know, now you're playing catch up as you, as you guys were saying earlier. So I think, we have to give him sort of a bit of a bit of leeway with regards to the mental side of the game that it could be mental fatigue as well. True, but then I mean, I, I think then the obvious response comes in is what do we do for the coming up games? You know, how how do we manage that situation? It's going to be interesting to see what what Klopp sort of does. Uh, Cam, I'll, I'll I'll come to you for this one. The the first flash points of the game, um, Zaha sort of comes through and you know gets through carries blocks it with a quite decent save. Right after that, 
Virgil van Dijk from a corner heads it in, Mane gets the touch <laughs> to hit it wide. And we sort of, that, that's sort of more what we expect. We, we almost expect Liverpool to just be scoring all the time, which is brilliant. It's lovely watching at the moment. But then, Zaha gets through. Uh, Trent, as we said, is a bit slow catching up to him. Carries comes out. Penalty for the Carries foul. What did you think of the penalty decision? Was it a penalty? Are you happy with that? And the whole phase of play? Carries didn't get the ball. And he clattered into the man. Even though he was trying to pull out of the challenge, he still went into Zaha. That's a foul. Unfortunately, you know, if that was, um, Mane running in on it or Salah running in on it on, on Wayne Hennessy, we'd be screaming for a foul and a penalty. Um, so that, for me, that was a penalty all day long. Again, we've, we've been done by the same sort of tactic. Um, Carrius, should he have come out? It, hindsight's beautiful, isn't it? You know, um, you know, when you watch a replay and you're thinking, why was he going for that, uh, with the bouncing ball? You know, uh, it, there's no way he was going to s- score. It was probably making it easier for him to score with the bouncing ball by coming out so he could lob him. So you've got, to, you've got to look at Carrius there and say, you know, he, he made the wrong decision to come charging out. Um, it, but like I say, yeah, for me, it was a penalty all day long. Leanne, you agree with that? Especially, and you know, you agree with this penalty and also just, uh, how do you react to Cam's point there about Carriers coming on, not carrying out? Do, do, do you think that he might have uh, done better to just stay on his line a bit or maybe come out maybe a little bit slower to Zaha? I think it's a tough one because from a goalkeeping point of view, obviously, if you've got a player like Zaha running at your goal, he's going to get there very, very quickly and he's going to take a shot and, and probably score anyway. Uh, but there was a bit of rashness about coming out so quickly and, and he wants to close down. I can understand that, but... I think in this in this sense, he probably was better to just stay a little bit rooted. Again, do what he did before, make himself big and, and ask Zaha to, to make a decision for him. Ask Zaha to take the shot and see if he can score rather than bring him down and have the decision made for him and give Palace a, a greater chance from the penalty spot. So um, I think there was sort of lessons to be learned there from Carriers. But on the whole, he has actually really impressed me. So I wasn't being too harsh on him. Um for the penalty decision, because I think in some ways Trent doesn't help him out by allowing um, Zaha to get in that position anyway. So I, I don't know. It's a hard one, but um, it's something he'll learn from. He's still a young player himself. Um, but at the same time, if he had have waited, if he had have allowed Zaha the time to, to pick and choose his place, he probably would have scored anyway. So it may or may not matter, but from a goalkeeping perspective, I think, you know, if the same thing happened against City on Wednesday, He's got to just allow the player to make the decision rather than give the player a, a decision for him. Can I jump? Um, Go on to you. Yeah. Um, I, maybe I can throw this out to everyone. Um, do you guys not think, because the way I saw it, um, Karius naturally is a, a front foot defender, um, a front foot keeper. And obviously, yes, it was a penalty as everyone has, has mentioned, but I would rather, he, because he sort of ran out without any hesitation. I'd rather want that from Carriers in the sense of he knew what he was trying to do. Whereas usually we tend to have a keeper who's hesitating and is kind of halfway through between am I coming or am I standing my ground? At least, um, with your rushing keepers, you do get those moments where he will give away some sort of fouls and penalties. But, um, um, I was more, um, more happy with the fact that he he was actually committed to something and then he went forward with it. There wasn't a second guessing from his part. Obviously, in hindsight, it wasn't the right decision, but I liked that he made a decision. 
It's about making the right decision. And on this, on the, and on this occasion, it was the wrong decision. And it's, it's all well and good being a, a front foot goalkeeper, but even a front foot goalkeeper has to be aware of what he's committing himself to. And, and it, again, it's something that he will learn. He will, he will go back. He will study the tapes and he'll look at that and he'll, and he'll probably be thinking to himself, yeah, I was a, I was a touch too quick to commit myself to going forward. And you, even the, the best keepers in the world make mistakes and, you know, they get beaten at the near post. They get lobbed when they shouldn't. Um, it happens and, and they give, give away silly free kicks and bows. But come a big game when it's difficult and it's nil nil, the keeper's got to be making every decision absolutely spot on. We got away with it yesterday. So maybe if, if he's going to make a mistake, better to do it in the Palace game where, where we can recover from then. Or against Watford when we're 5-0 up. Yeah. <laughs> <That would be nice. laughs> Not at 0-0. Yeah. They put the pressure on the team in an away game and we don't do well, uh, in away games when we're, when we're a goal down. Yeah. I'll deal with these next two things together to do. Maybe you can knock us, you can start us off here, but. We had a couple of flashpoints and, you know, refereeing has really been on LFC Twitter's mind um, of lately. But we had, from the penalty decision there, we went to the other side and we had the Mane giving yellow for fouling, uh, for diving, sorry, in the opposition penalty area. Uh, and we can also talk about the shirt pull on VVD and then, uh, to round this off, third incident, the Mane handball incident, all flashpoints, all big sort of refereeing decisions. What did you? What was your take on all of those? Ref got them right. Um, in the heat of the moment, obviously, as a fan, um, the ref always gets the decision wrong if it's a, if it's against Liverpool. Um, but with regards to the Mane uh, penalty shot, I thought um, obviously the contact was there. I thought what what didn't help him was the the manner in which he went down. And then further to that fact, I think also it plays a part in that there have been quite a few penalties this season that haven't been given uh, to Mane. Uh, you can think of the Fellaini one if you want recent history where there actually was contact. It should be a penalty, but it wasn't given. And those sort of things maybe play into the officials' uh, decision making in that they've, they've he might have a reputation with officials. We don't know. Um, how, how he saw that. And it's quite a difficult angle for the referee to see it. I was looking more at the, at the linesman to be giving that one. So, um, I don't know why he didn't give it. I suppose maybe as a linesman, the criticism has been it's easier for them not to give one than to give one and have made a mistake. But, um, it, it, unless it, you're refereeing for Tottenham against Liverpool. Uh, oh, that, that's a totally different thing, Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a different rule for that one. Um, <laughs> But I, I think it, it is something to concern. And I know we, we did have the sort of the officials. Um, I think it was a referee appreciation week in England, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. But it's, it's not necessarily that we're trying to hound the referees because it is quite a tough thing to do. Um, I had to referee a Sunday league game, uh, the other time I was injured, but I just thought I'd, I'd do it to, because the ref didn't pitch up. And it's actually a lot harder than, than it looked. <laughs> Um, it's the worst thing. It's the worst job. It's, it's so difficult. So, so obviously, yes, it, they do have um, times where they do make mistakes. But what I think everyone has been crying for, and it's not just Liverpool fans, it's sort of 
English football as a whole is the, the level of consistency um, and, and the standard itself. I mean, it, it must be a concern that there's no, there's no British referees that are representing at the World Cup. Um, and lo and behold, Wenger mentioned that earlier in the season and got fined for it. And lo and behold, he actually was right. So I think it's something they need to look at. Um, and then you can also move on to the Virgil van Dijk, um appeal. In, in my opinion, I thought the defender had his hands all over him. Uh, I, 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 but with those ones, I think it depends what the referee that you get on the day. I've seen this season where there has been shirt pulling and the referee has given it. And then other 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 days where there's blatant shirt pulling, the, you can see the ref has looked at it and he's but not getting. Surely, I mean, but that's the thing. We're talking about a referee to referee basis. Yes. What, what does that mean for us now? It means should the referee then be coming to the teams beforehand and telling them the standard of what's going to happen? Should should there not be a referee to referee thing? There should just be a general standard of sort of refereeing. This is what we are doing in the Premier League. This year, we're going to be punishing shirt pulling a lot more. I know that happened, and then we got like two penalties in two games last season or something like that, and then it sort of died down again. And since then, since the dying down, it hasn't really come back in. It just seems like, you know, that's what concerns me is that some days it's a penalty and sort of some days it's not. And I'm not really sure if it's always a referee to referee basis. It seems to be a this referee in this game in this situation type of basis. And I think um, you could probably take um, some, um, if you look at mixed martial arts, for example, I know they, they do that a lot, where the referee comes into the, the locker rooms before the match, and he actually explains, obviously he's got, as the referee, you've got the guidelines of the rule book, but then in terms of his interpretation, he, he, he'll mention to the fighters that this certain thing, if you do a low blow, for example, I'm not going to give you a warning, it's going to be a straight point deduction, you know, so you do get those levels of strictness and the individuality there so maybe it's on the referees to come to the dressing rooms to to mention these things and then also for i suppose they usually do it with the captains the two captains and the the two managers with the officials then it's also on the captains and the the managers just to clarify these situations or even you don't even necessarily have to clarify just by pointing it out you could plant something in the ref's mind. Like if you know you're playing, let's say, a, a, a quite a rugged team that likes to pull in the box, maybe in those meetings, if you're mentioning, oh, ref, uh, by the way, are, are we look, how, how much leniency is there with grabbing the shirt? You know, now he's starting to think about it. Yeah, Leanne, why don't you pick up on this? Because the one incident that, uh, if, if we move beyond the sort of refereeing debate, I thought one where the player didn't really give the referee a chance to make a decision was the Mane thing where he, you know, he, he just pulls the ball towards him and, uh, he's expecting a foul, very obviously. I thought that if that, if the referee's not gonna give the foul in that position, that should be a yellow card. I mean, it, it was very canny of Jurgen Klopp to pull Mane off right after that happened. But it sort of felt to me like we got away with one. What did it feel like to you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, uh, to be honest, the handball incident itself was pretty comical. Um, and Mane yeah. was just very, very mad the whole game. There was the yellow card, the handball, the offside goal, then he equalises. You know, there was a little bit of everything mm. from him. Um, and he was very, very lucky to stay on the pitch. Credit to Jurgen Klopp for bringing him off straight after the, the incident. But it's it's one of two things, because he probably should have got a yellow card for the handball, but he definitely shouldn't have got a yellow card for the dive, uh, because it wasn't a dive. There was contact, the replay showed it. And I can understand 
you know, this is where we can have a conversation about video assess, uh, assistant refereeing and things like that and the assistants not doing their job properly. Um, but he does receive contact. It's just the way he goes down and it's so theatrical that the referee then makes the decision that it's a dive. Um, but yeah, he, you know, he was lucky on another day. He could have got a red card and that really would have changed the game. So it just shows the fine margins of football. Uh, but you know, in, in the end, he got the equaliser. He did pretty well. He did a couple of really, really good balls in. Um, and so, you, you know, we, we did definitely get away with one. But when we get away with one, we can look back and, and laugh about it. But another another day, another incident. And he probably, yeah, he, he probably would have seen red. Utterly bizarre, bizarre turn of events. Leanne, I'll keep it with you because you did mention the minor equaliser. Nice that it came so early in the second half, just to calm us down and just to really rebuff the efforts of Jurgen Klopp to turn the thing around at halftime, get the lads out. They were out early for the second half. Um, and to, to immediately get that, you know, that reward for the application and moving the ball around a bit a little faster. It did look like maybe Palace were pulling out a bit earlier. They expected us to rush them in the second half and were hoping to sort of get the second goal early on. But it, it just sort of calmed everything down and a, 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 like a, a very nice move there from Liverpool. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think um, credit to James Milner. He's got another assist. It was a great ball in and actually the finish itself was really, really um, composed. Uh, the way Mane, I don't think he even looks at where the ball's going. He just keeps his head up and he just taps it straight in. And that was that was the quality of the ball. So it was a really, really big switch in momentum from that point onwards. And, and as you say, four minutes after the halftime interval, Jurgen Klopp's got them out early. He's he's given them that rallying call and there was a big, big improvement in the second half. Okay, we weren't, you know, we still weren't at Liverpool levels, usual Liverpool levels anyway. Um, but that goal did turn turn things around and gave us a bit of momentum going forward. And then obviously Salah, who else is going to come up with the winner? Uh, in the dying embers of the game. So, you know, as I said earlier, credit to Mane. He did have a bit of a mixed bag in terms of his performance. And he's received quite a lot of criticism this uh, season, which I don't think is very, um, you know, fair. If you actually look at the stats, he's doing pretty well for the season. Uh, but there's been a couple of performances, probably because of Salah and the likes of Firmino as well, where he's not really getting the credit he deserves. But this was a performance, okay, you can argue he was lucky to stay on the pitch in the end, but... He thoroughly deserved that goal, and, and it was a really good finish. He yeah. scored more goals this season than last season. Yeah, he's he's also averaged more uh, take-ons, um, I think, as well. More successful ones, anyway. So I wouldn't be surprised he, he if is, he had more assists as well this season. Yeah, his numbers are better this season, which yeah. sort of poses the question, why is everyone asking about his form? And in some ways, this was the perfect summation of that because it wasn't the you know the perfect performance but actually it had a little bit of everything and in the end he comes away with a goal so I think what it is with him this season we haven't seen that blistering turn of pace that we know he has he just seems to be holding himself back for some reason and, he, no, and I, think, I think the reason for that Cam is because I think he's been asked to take on more of the Coutinho role after Coutinho has gone he, he the, plays in that 10 position probably he, he does drop slightly deeper yeah. yeah 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 but then if you look at his goal yesterday, he was actually on the right wing. He started, he, 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 and he played the ball across. And then he's, he's actually at the near post when the cross comes in. He's, he's, he, he is, he's playing a, a completely different role this season to last season. Obviously, which is normally, he has started this season more on the left wing with Salah on the right wing. And it, and his game has evolved. 
And that's what people are failing to see as well. He's a different player from last season. And the numbers show that he's actually performing at a better level then. And I wonder what's going to happen when we get, or hopefully if we get a couple of, you know, definitely Nubby's coming, but if we get a couple of midfielders that could supplement him a little bit better than, say, our midfield did yesterday, that that's that hopefully his, his game can go up a little bit more. But Cam, I'm going to keep it with you because, right, well, you know, about 10 minutes after Mane scores, we have this little period of play where some some people's Liverpool man in the match, Christian Benteke, <laughs> comes <laughs> and sort of uh, 57 minutes gets through, sort of must score, doesn't a minute later gets another chance and and sort of fluffs at it again. It's mm. like absolutely amazing. And then of course the money handball thing happens, and it just feels like Liverpool lost a bit of momentum in that period where you know you, you suddenly had Benteke coming through a couple times, then Mane doing it, and it just felt like we. We lost control of the game. We didn't feel like we really had control of the game except when it was with our, um, w- with our top three players. I know Virgil van Dijk a couple of times getting really irritated with our midfield that we weren't, we weren't advancing the ball forward as quickly as he sort of wanted to. A lot of the time he had to come to the midfield to take over that. But this little spell by Venteke was absolutely, it was comic gold, but also just great relief. It's comic gold before because it's great relief for us that he didn't score. We got away with it. Absolutely. Any other striker, <laughs> any other striker in the Premier League would have scored one of those two chances. Forget even scoring, hit the target. Yeah. Neither of those, neither of those shots hit the target. Neither of those, those shots worked the keeper. It was, we, we got away with it. Um, he scored two league goals this season. And there's a reason he's only scored two league goals this season. He's playing terribly. He's got no confidence fit. But he, his, the, if you look at his first half, the way he was, he played quite well. But then he lost it a little bit towards the end of the first half himself. And I think he got that yellow card because he, yellow, yeah. uh, for kicking out at Virgil. And I think that must have been playing on his mind. I, I can't think of any other reason for why he didn't, he didn't score one of those chances. And we got away with it. Because if we'd gone 2 1 down then, uh, and we'd lost control of the midfield, the midfield uh, at that point was, was all over the shop again. Um, and it, it goes back to what I was saying. You know, we, we came out 10, 15 minutes. We were really good. And then we lost it. And, and that's a worry for us that our midfield, our second string midfield, if you want to call it, uh, cause that's what it was yesterday then in that effect, isn't good enough to control these type of games. And this is like I said, next season we've got, uh, Naby coming in and hopefully two more midfielders at least alongside. Because if Chang goes, we're, we're screwed. I tend to agree. I was, I know we'll talk a little bit more about the midfield, but one thing I want to talk about just before then to cap off this little period, Tadiwa, of like Liverpool more losing control, I think, than Paris, than Palace actually affecting control of the game. But the, they have, uh, from the Mane handball, they have a free kick in a very good position. And Carrius comes out again with a, with a very decent save. And I wanted to ask what you felt about Carrius so far. I mean, he's obviously impressed since coming on, like Leanne has said. I said before, I, I think he's benefited as well from the whole backline being a little bit more stable and, you know, uh, Robertson coming to, uh, to a bit of fruition and a bit of form, Virgil van Dijk being there and so on and so forth. But his, his saves, just while they are very good, they don't seem to be like those, you know, almost like David De Gea saves where you're going, wow, oh my God, that's amazing. Is it him not getting credit for those saves or, you know, maybe, they just aren't that good. Maybe his, you know, maybe his positioning is such that he makes it look easier. What is your take being on Loris Carriers so far since his reintroduction to the team? 
Um, I think, first of all, it was sort of the perfect storm in that I think Klopp did hold him off um, at the beginning of the season until he got Van Dijk in. And you can see, um, in especially during Van Dijk's first game against Everton, where there were a couple of through balls that got played through. And Carriers naturally, as as we've mentioned before, is a front foot goalkeeper. And you can see Van Dijk sort of showing showing to him, like, you, you can come for these ones. You can, you know, these are the ones you should be coming to collect. So I think there was there was sort of some sort of foresight in that he was only going to bring Carriers in when he knew maybe, I suppose, a more trusted defender, you could say, in Van Dijk. And then similarly with uh, Robertson, but obviously the Morena injury had a, a major factor to that in that Robertson spent a lot of time at the beginning of the season on the training pitch trying to sort of iron out some of the some of the maybe habits that he's he's developed over the years playing in a totally different style where he's used to sort of maybe a low block um running up and down the the, the byline just crossing balls into the box without actually picking someone out but similarly with carriers in that I think Klopp was, he was waiting because as soon as, as soon as Van Dijk came in, it was sort of like an instant decision that was made. And then in terms of taking his opportunity, look, I think he's, he's done, he's done well. Um, I don't think we had a big enough sample size earlier on in his career to, to actually make a call on whether he was up to the grade. Um, but one thing I did know was I knew for a fact Mignolet wasn't. So I, I, I did like the approach in the sense of, Okay, Carriers, you've got these six months. Okay, prove to us that, that you deserve this number one spot. Prove to us that you should be the keeper we should trust going forward. Because this is a quite a crucial window. You know, you do get those windows. Like last season was the window to sign a striker. There were so many strikers that were on the move, you know. Um, fortunately enough, we, we, we didn't, we didn't need to. I suppose some people argued that we did, but evidently we didn't need to sign a striker. And I think if you look at this season, you've got the Lafonts, you've got the Allisons, you've got the O'Blacks. Um, there are quite a few keepers that are out there that, that are looking to move around and it's going to cause a merry-go-round of keepers moving around. So it's quite a critical time for carriers to, to solidify that. Yes, actually, I should be taking this jersey. Um, we have to bear in mind that, I'm not comparing him to David De Gea, and anytime you mention this, everyone just rushes to, oh, so you're saying he's David De Gea. I'm not saying that, but David De Gea struggled in his first season. Um, I remember there was a point during the season where he was like, um, maybe it wasn't a... He was awful. He was awful in his first, let's not, he was terrible. Yeah, it was a really hot season for him. And there was actually a point in the season, I don't know if this became public, um, if I read it somewhere, but I do remember being told that there was a rule at United that De Gea was not allowed to come out for corners. So anytime there was a corner, no matter how close it was to his chicken box, Ferguson had told him, you're not allowed to, to, you know, come out of your box and try and punch it or anything like that because he was flapping too many of them. He said, rather stay on, rather stay on your goal line and trust your instincts. And similarly in, in Carriers in that he's had moments where he's trying to adjust. It's a completely different league. Especially for a goalkeeper, it's quite a physical league, and he's starting to grow. He's he, I I can't say he's 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 made too many mistakes. This, the penalty in this game, as, as we've mentioned, was a mistake. But it's it's one of those things where I'm looking more at the trajectory opposed to looking at one uh, one game or one incident. I'm trying to see is he actually improving because that that's all you can ask from him. Is he improving? And if it then comes to the summer and Klopp doesn't feel that he's improved enough, 
there's more than enough keepers that are available at the moment that we can go and replace him. But for now, the way he's playing, if he carries on playing like he is playing, I personally don't have a problem with him staying as our number one, purely because we're not one of those clubs that can go and sign five, six world-class players. We, we just can't afford it. So if you can save, let's say, on having to buy a 40, 50, 60 million pound goalkeeper because you have one that's capable, the important one being he has to be capable to do the job there, then it, it helps us to strengthen another position. Not true. And Leanne, let's talk about that a little bit. It will, it will influence what we're gonna, what we're gonna talk about here, but we have to discuss Adam Lallana and we are sort of going down to wind off the pod now as we get to the end of the game. But Adam Lallana comes off and he's had a long injury layoff, set back, come back and run on the pitch for something like five minutes before it, it looks like the way he landed he has pulled a hammy. He's injured a lot, and it feels you just have this player who's on such a lot of wages on on the the wrong sort of end of his career, if I can put it that. What do you you know? And you really do feel for Adam Lallana. He's worked really hard to get back. Jurgen Klopp was saying, you know, he doesn't know about the injury, but when you looked at Lallana's face, it was bad. You know, he was he was inconsolable, and obviously so, especially like with the World Cup coming up and and that sort of stuff. But if we look at what Adam Lallana means to the squad is he somebody we should be looking at replacing it sort of feels a little bit you know like daniel started running on for three minutes and getting injured it's sort of starting to feel like that with Adam Lallana too he's been more injured than daniel storage over the last couple of years and then this happens i mean it's, it's very tragic but what does it mean for his future i think it's a it's a tough one because he's come back from injury and obviously he's not had the the most game time but when he has featured he hasn't really been himself um, I've always been a big admirer of Lalana. I think he adds something that we, you know, sometimes we lack. We, okay, he slows down the tempo of the game with his, you know, annoying turns and he doesn't necessarily go forward when he can. Um, but his ability to run in between the lines to create space and to, to make something happen had been a, a really, really good trait of his. But we haven't really seen that, um, for a long time now because of these untimely injuries and, and, you know, he, he's come on and he's suffered another injury blow. So it is a, it's a massive disappointment for him. And it's, you know, it's frustrating for us because we're going into a, to a big, um, very important run of games and, and near the business end of the season. And we want as many players fit as we can have. But in terms of his future, I'm, I'm not so sure he's, you know, ever going to get back to, to where he was. Um, I could be wrong, but in order to get there, he's going to need a, a very long run of games. And I just don't see it in this side. Our midfield isn't great. Uh, sometimes I look at it and, you know, you're wondering where's the creativity, where's the spark. But with Cater coming in, it's hard to see where Lilana fits. Uh, he does have the work rate to maybe fulfill a more defensive role in which he can still get forward. But I think, again, that's going to be hit and miss with, with game time because you're, you're battling with James Milner, who's on brilliant form. Genie Wijnaldum, who really needs to up his game as well. So there's a couple of things um, that, that need to be taken into account. But it's hard to see him really becoming a mainstay in the, in the team again, which is, you know, it's, it's sad to say. But do I think he'll be sold? No. I think he's one of those players. He's got a lot of experience, which is what we need. Um, our team is still relatively young and people tend to forget that. Uh, we don't really have much experience in terms of, titles or anything like that as well so keeping someone like Lilana in the squad is important it helps morale and he's really good for the young players um, obviously he's on a big wage which is the only issue but hopefully this injury is not as bad as it looks uh, he comes back and he can get a good pre-season ready for next year 
and sort of establish himself maybe more as a squad player, but still able to add something from the bench because that's what you need when you you know you're trying to fight for a domestic cup for the Champions League and for the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no interesting point. This this whole season has just basically been a, a writer for Adam, unfortunately. But Leanne mentioning James Milner there, Cam, and again he was featured for the second goal, the Salah goal. Uh, good work by him. Good work by Robertson. Finish almost invariably by Salah, who I don't think I, I don't know if plaudits exist more for this man, <laughs> <laughs> the king of Egypt, the king of the cop at the moment. Just, uh, just something different class, but a very, very nice move. And I'm sure Crystal Palace just hate that the clock runs past 80 minutes because they've had this. I think with United they did it, and with Tottenham both post 80 minute goals that they've conceded it seems to be a problem for them. But for us, just, just a lovely move. It seemed to be a lot of intelligence involved in its build up as well. Yeah, I mean, there was the uh, Ox was involved as well, uh, so. The hockey assist was from Ox uh, out oh, to uh, yeah, yeah. out to Robertson, and then uh, as Salah said, he knew where Robertson was going to put that ball because that's where he put it a couple of weeks, and uh, and the finish, and you just knew the way he just there was that pause, yeah, just before he struck it, and you knew he was going to just hit it into that side of the goal, and it was just lovely, and obviously Sacco even tried to save it, didn't he? He dived. To, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he had, he'd done a full goalie dive to try and stop it. And he, so they had two keepers and a defender trying to get to it. And, um, he still put it away nicely. And, um, it was, uh, it was magnificent. I, I actually woke my mum up with the celebrations uh, and she was in a different room. So yeah, um, I may have been a bit loud when that goal went in. And, um, it was such a relief because Palace away is, it's, it's that game aside from the, the top six in Everton uh, matches. Uh, it's that one away game I hate. I hate going to Palace away. You know, well, not that I've been, but as in when we go to Palace away, and it's it was just great that we we managed to get that that the three points and um, and keep the keep it going to try and get into next season's Champions League, which is vital. It's absolutely essential that we you know we qualify two seasons on the row now. Uh, players uh, in the summer will be thinking, you know, this is a club on the up and um, it makes us a more attractive proposition, you know, going forward. And, and you know, hopefully it will convince other players who may have been thinking in the back of their mind, you know, shall we leave, shall we stay? And hopefully the better players that we have will be thinking, yeah, this is the place to be going forward as well. So it's a huge, huge goal. You know, in in everything that it represents for the club going forward. Yeah, you're just all right. I mean, but by the time the goal goes in, it just seems like Salah has too much space, too much time. But actually, there was no time, there was no space. It was that just little that pause and touch yes. before the second one that just opened everything up. And then it it just it was like a child's goal. <laughs> you know, it's just unbelievable. But Tadiwa, I will let you close us off here with the questions. Looking forward, do you expect much of a change um, for the next lineup um, that we have? We have four days until that next game, and Jurgen Klopp quite clearly saying that that's enough time for rest, but do you think that there will be any changes? Uh, maybe especially if we look at that midfield area? Um, well, I've seen a, a, a back three with Ginny Wijnaldum in it this season, so trying to second-guess Klopp's Club's team sheet—it's it's quite an impossible task. Um, obviously, there are some critical 
critical decisions he's going to have to make. Who, for example, who partners Matt up, uh, at the back? That that Van could Dijk. be quite pivotal. Van Dijk. I mean, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> who's going to uh, partner Van Dijk in, in at the back? Uh, and then also with Trent at right back. Um, I've heard early shouts for Molnar to play right back. Um, look, with Molnar, you know he can do a job. Um, it, it's such a tough choice. In terms of the midfield, I'm just praying Emre Chan is back. He, he's, especially in the big games this season, but all throughout the season, he's sort of the glue of that midfield. So I'm sort of looking at um, an Emre Chan, and then Henderson will be in there. I'm assuming if he if he's fit as well. Um, and then the third one is a bit of a toss up. If if Milner is to come into the midfield, I'm I'm not opposed to him starting. I'm not opposed to him starting. Sorry, um, but also Oxley Chamberlain. He he had a very good game against uh, Man City last time around. So his energy could be quite critical, especially because it's. I think both legs are definitely going to be end to end, lung busting. Um, sort of, it's sort of like two heavyweights just giving each other blows. It's not really going to be these. Well, probably now I've jinxed it. It's going to be a one nil, AG affair. But but you wouldn't expect it to be. It's definitely going to be up and down the pitch, and it's going to be more to do with your conversion rate. Who has the team that's going to be scoring the chances that we're going to be getting? Because both teams defensively. They have questions that can be asked, and both teams offensively are arguably the two best offensive teams in the Premier League and vying for being one of the best in Europe. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And it'll be interesting to see what Jurgen Klopp does going forward. Really do hope that Emre Chan recovers. I know a lot of people don't like him because he's thinking about leaving. I just think he has to play. He wants to play. He's going to, he's going to do that job in the midfield. I don't see how anybody else does that job at the moment. So come at me on Twitter. And um, and uh, give shit to my panel rather. <laughs> Come at me as well. Emery yeah. Chan is vital. <laughs> but Absolutely if his performance vital. was on dropping, I, I don't see the issue. Um, he still kept the standard standard quite high. And in terms of players, we complain about players when they leave. You know, after signing contracts like Suarez and Coutinho signed a contract and left about six months later or so. Um, whereas here we have a player that's seen out the contract. Obviously, there have been issues with renewing it or whether he wants to leave or not, but it hasn't affected him on the pitch. And surely, as a Liverpool fan, you want Liverpool to succeed. Um, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm simplifying it too much. But it's the same thing with, um, let's say, hypothetically speaking, like let's say if Danny Ings is starting for us for the rest of the season up front, it probably means he's having... A ridiculous season because he's keeping Firmino out of the team. You know what I mean? Um, so it, it it shouldn't really matter which individuals are playing. Obviously, we all have our favourites, but as long as if it's benefiting Liverpool Football Club, we should all we should all want that. Yeah, yeah, no, well said. Now, thanks, peeps. A good win for Liverpool there. I'm just happy we got that out the way and can march on and can look forward with a very clear conscience towards the next game. I'm gonna let you do some plugs now. Um, Leanne, I'll start with you. Any writer's plugs on the horizon or after the moment? Yeah, so I've got an article out um, myself at the moment just on the right-back situation and looking at, you know, this crucial run of games, City um, and Everton, um, and just seeing what happens now. Gomez is is out of action. Does it fall to Trent Alexander-Arnold? Does he mix it up with bringing in Nathaniel Klein? Um, Or does Milner come in? So that's, that's something that could be explored. 
Um, so if you haven't read that, check that out. Otherwise, just listen to the Writers Podcast, usually on every Thursday. Um, I won't be there this week, but Tom, uh, it, it's in his capable hands, and I'm sure it'll be a cracker, so definitely tune in for that one. And for you, Cam, anything on the horizon? Um, there will be another main AI pod out uh, towards the end of uh, the week. Uh, we should be recording that on Thursday, so it should be out Friday. Um, all being well. And uh, to just a quick little uh, plug to our American listeners, if you've not signed the petition uh, in reference to hashtag SunsetNBC, please, please do so. Yeah, very well said. That was definitely the uh, our LFC New York guys are, are pushing that quite hard. We really do need to support them in that. And so to round this off, uh, did you wear any plugs from you? Um, I think maybe I'll just do a general AI plug. Both the, the AI channel and AI Pro. I think it's well worth it for for everyone to try and get on those. Um, I'm a tr- I'm trying to avoid gags at the moment because I do um an article. Um, but it, it just got a bit hectic this this long weekend. So I should be maybe if people want to look out for it it's it's to do with sort of the way the way pr is used at the moment especially at liverpool and it's something that the owners have used um with the other sporting sporting uh, franchises in terms of using the media to to aid them in negotiations and how they fight they, they sometimes fight battles in the in in the media so yeah hopefully i can get that done this week and look out for that Oh, interesting, interesting. I just think from a PR perspective, let's put a strategy together to get Dan Lovren just not giving interviews. I would like that, especially before the game. <laughs> that was an April Fool's yeah, today, was... wasn't it? That was an yeah. April Fool's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That must have been. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to my panel and thank you, D-Lesson, so much for tuning in once again. We will see you after the next Premier League game. Until we see you then, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Let's get ready to rumble! Network.